Welcome to Entrepreneurial Insights, a podcast brought to you by the Society of Entrepreneurs and hosted by Pearson Crutcher and Jay Healy. The Society of Entrepreneurs is a membership organization founded to promote entrepreneurship and provide education and resources to Memphis business owners. In this podcast, we'll have a series of interviews with accomplished business owners and entrepreneurs in Memphis, Tennessee. There are so many great entrepreneurs in Memphis and their stories need to be told. Welcome to Entrepreneurial Insights. Welcome to Entrepreneurial Insights. Our conversation today is a panel discussion hosted by Epicenter and the Society of Entrepreneurs. The topic is knowing your brand. We basically have five accomplished business owners sharing their thoughts about how to bring the best product to your customers, how to build your brand, and how to grow your business. Members of our panel include Susan Stevenson, who founded Independent Bank in 1998. She's also a member of the Society of Entrepreneurs and a former guest on our podcast. Shannon Briggs is the founder and head trailblazer of Campfire Collective, a Memphis-based marketing agency. Lisa Toro is the founder of City and State, a local coffee shop that not only serves great coffee, but is an actual shop for many unique products. Bartholomew Jones is the co-founder of Coffee Black, a unique company intended to reinstate the origin, purpose, and integrity of coffee through the knowledge of black history. The host of our panel discussion is Mike Bruns. Mike, who retired from his company, Comtrack Logistics, in 2010, has been a long-standing member of the Society of Entrepreneurs. He's also very involved with the community, serving on boards for nonprofits across Memphis, and is a former guest on our podcast. Please enjoy the panel discussion. Thank you very much. I am Pearson Crutcher. I'm the executive director of the Society of Entrepreneurs. For those of you that don't know, we are a membership organization and our mission is to educate and encourage entrepreneurs. When we decided to do this event with Epicenter, we wanted to have a very special moderator. And since Jeff Bezos says that a brand is what others say about you when you are not in the room... I figured that the best person to be our moderator would be Mike Bruns, because there is no one that I know that every person that I meet says, Mike Bruns is a great guy. So, Mike, thank you so much for being here today. These are just a few of his accomplishments. MBA, he has been MBJ Business of the Year, the Rotary's Person of the Year, the National Transportation Club Person of the Year, the University of Memphis Distinguished Alumni. I know that these are things that he's very uncomfortable with me saying because that's also Mark. That is his brand is that it's never about Mike. It's always about the people that surround him. I have seen that throughout my time knowing Mike, and I'm so excited today to be here with you and let him take this panel over. I also do want to mention he's bowled two games of 280. So, Mike Bruns, (laughs) (laughs) thank you very much. I'm going to turn it over to you now, Mike. Thank you very much for being here, everybody. Thank you. I made the bowling thing up. That was just a joke. (laughs) I didn't do that. Isn't it weird when people are bragging on you like they just did for all five of us? It's very embarrassing, isn't it? It's just you'd rather crawl under the table. I'm really glad. I've never been a moderator, so I'm going to wing this with you all, okay? But what we'd like to do is make sure that we cover a lot of different points 
And I think one way to do that is I'll ask some questions to each of them and we'll kind of play it by ear and go for about 30 minutes and turn it into a dialogue after the 30 minutes to where you may have jotted down some questions or you can remember them. For me, I have to write down how to get back to the car. But anyway, make sure that you keep it in your mind so that you can ask the questions that come to mind. I am really, truly honored to be. I did the background to read about you guys and gals. And I got to tell you, it's an honor to be with you all. So let's start with the very first question. Y'all ready? And there's no wrong answer. That's the good news. You're just going to tell about what you think. But Lisa, we'll start with you. How do you define your company's brand? The brand we're likely most known for these days being city and state. And really, we've always established that as a space and a place where we want people to just discover something new in the everyday. So it doesn't have to be some large, exhaustive experience that takes you to other countries, other places. But how do we just create small moments, whether it be bringing in unique coffees from around the country, around the world, or handcrafted from makers around the country? It's just all those tiny pieces of art that we can enjoy on the regular. Very good. Sharon? Campfire Collective, we talked a little bit about it in the intro, but it's a Memphis-based marketing firm igniting creative campaigns for community-based organizations. And the reason we came up with the name Campfire Collective is because as a brand, we love the idea of sitting around a fire with our clients, with our team, with our community, exchanging stories and ideas. And it's less about us telling you what to do, but more about collaboration and learning together. The collective part is, you know, we're a collective as a team and as a community. And then the campfire piece is a lot of how we work as a marketing company too. So we do a lot of work to ignite the flame of a campaign. And then we do the work to continue to fan the flames and keep it going as well. Would you change your name if you had to do it all over again? Or are you satisfied? Oh, I'm satisfied with it. Yeah. (laughs) Susan, how about you? How do you find your company's brand? Well, we are a 25-year-old community-based financial institution. And the thing that I say all the time is we are about whatever is important to you. We're about your dreams and your goals and your success, finding a way to help make that happen. Money is a tool. And because we understand that money is a tool, we're just trying to help you use yours in the best possible way. We're passionate about our community. We love this place. And we believe that part of our job is to lift not only individuals, but all of us collectively together. We probably are the only organization in the country that has the phrase to serve heroically in our mission statement, but we want to serve heroically. So what I would say all the time, you said it perfectly, your brand is really what other people think about you, not what you think about yourself. But what we are really trying to do is find a way to be what's important to you. How about you, Bertha? Similarly to the idea of what people say about you, there's a producer that I follow who said something a while ago and like your brand is your reputation. And I think that's along the same lines of thinking for us. We have a reputation within the specialty coffee industry to help people discover the missing links to coffee's roots and use those things as inspiration for imagining what the future of coffee and in general, what people of African descent could look like. Our name has an X in it, and we spell coffee C-X-F-F-E-E, Black. There's kind of two reasons for that. The first is because if you type in Black Coffee, there's going to be a whole bunch of people who pop up before me. Uh, 
and so spelling it with an X and then putting the coffee first instead of the black was just a SEO move, but also because <laughs> that X represents a missing link. So you can think back to Malcolm X and that X representing a missing link to his culture. You can also think back to math class, the X representing like the variable needed to be able to understand a solution to a problem. And so for us, that's really been rooted. And it boils down to essentially three steps that we do for any branding move. We want to have an idea of cultural congruence, which means we're connecting or referencing something that was unknown in history. We're communicating about it in a way that's relevant to the way that youth speak around the world. So we want to tap into youth culture. And then we're also providing a possible solution for a future problem that people haven't considered. So we, anything we do, we try to make sure those three steps are here. So what I'm hearing from you is that culture is also part of the brand. It's it's, the culture is almost the brand. It is. I think it's culture with a high quality product that also provides a solution to a problem people haven't considered. Culture and brand kind of go together if what we're saying or we all agree to that. Have you ever had to say no to a client to protect your brand? On multiple occasions, like I said, our focus is community-based organizations. So if we have a client that comes to us and it could be a really cool project, but if it doesn't fit within what our specialty is, then we have to refer them elsewhere. And we have a wonderful community of PR colleagues here in town that we can refer them to who specialize in other things. But when it comes to corporate PR or smaller campaigns within larger organizations, then that's not really our area of expertise. And we're not going to do our best work and they're not going to get their best job out of it. So we turn them down. But we always have a solution for them. Otherwise, we refer elsewhere. How about you, Susan? Have you ever had to say no to a client, especially when you're considering growth as an opportunity and then questioning the foundation by which your brand stands. Does that provide you a difficult decision sometimes? I get a chance. I'm a banker. I get to say no a lot. <laughs> I want to lie, y'all, but I can't. Okay. What I would say about it, there's a, there are two different, there's a question. Why are you saying no? And that question that maybe is at the heart of this is what is the value that you're trying to support in this process? And sometimes There have been many times I've had to say no, not because I wanted to say no or because it was against my values, but because my responsibility to protect the assets that we've been given trust over, we have had to do that sometimes. But sometimes there are things where it's very clear that there's not a good match between what that person needs to accomplish and wants to accomplish and what you are about. And so understanding your values and being able to always have that stick that says, this is just not a fit for me. That's not a thing that's a bad thing. In your life, you have a thousand choices. You make a micro choice every moment. And those micro choices add up to the bigger value system that you've created for yourself. And so when you say the question is, have I ever had to say no to someone because of my values? Yes, probably. But more importantly, what we try really hard to do is make sure that we attract the people that share our values to us on the front end so that there's less of saying no. So it's a little bit of the universe of the natural, the way that we are like magnets for the things that are similar to us. We sort of repel the things that are not similar to us. So the answer is yes. Unfortunately, I say no. A lot of times I say no when I wish I could say yes. But if I'm a value judgment, it's really about trying to make sure that we are honoring what's important to that person as well as what's important to us. 
It's great to hear. Thank you, Susan. How about you, Bartholomew? We've had several instances where we've had to tell people no. I can tell you a horror story of a time when I said yes when I should have said no. Or <laughs> I can give you some examples of when we said no up front. Which one would y'all prefer? Horror <laughs> story. Okay, cool, cool. So when we launched our brand, we got a lot of support on social media. Social media is pretty much how we built our brand. We're essentially a CPG e-commerce company. We do have a small physical space. But we started doing coffee collaborations with other roasters because initially we weren't a roaster. We had a podcast. We were doing storytelling, merchandise. We didn't have an actual roasting capacity. And so we were collaborating with other roasters. And we had collaborated with one of my favorite roasters, Onyx Coffee, if you're familiar with them, out of Arkansas. Longtime friends. We were supposed to do like a music event because I do music and we were going to do like a coffee music event out there. But when we launched our brand, they're like, let's just do a coffee together. It went really well. It was one of the highest selling products to date. And then another company reached out for a collaboration and we immediately said, yeah, I mean, we're in a collaborating mood. This is profitable. <laughs> Essentially, I'm just licensing my intellectual property to you and I get paid for it. So this is a good, it's a win-win situation. And then a third company reached out. And at this point, the companies were getting like smaller. So the first collaboration was like huge, really big. Second collaboration was still fairly large. This third company was like a company we weren't really aware of, hadn't really connected with, but they loved our mission and vision. They wanted to support helping to solve the problems we were trying to solve in society. And so we were like, yeah, I mean, we'll be supporting them, but it's still profitable. And it was the worst decision ever. And I don't like to make decisions based on social media following, but essentially what it really came down to was authenticity and reputation, right? right. Or you could say brand. Their brand did not have the reputation for doing the work that we did, which means it didn't resonate with our consumers and their consumers were confused. It turned into a situation too where, you know, the first two collaborations were very profitable as far as the splits went. The second one or the third one, excuse me, because I really didn't consider our brand synergy and I was trying to be nice. I'm like, I don't want to be mean. They seem like good people, blah, 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 blah. It just became a situation where we were fighting over the profit margins at the end of the collaboration because they weren't making enough money because they expected to make the money we made on our first collaboration. And so I've learned to pay more attention, not necessarily to following, but definitely to reputation and to people who have a history and a track record of aligned values, not people who are just starting to care about the things that we care about at the time of the collaboration. Isn't it interesting that all the words that we're using to describe these answers to these questions? Now, reputation is another one kind of synonymous with brand. So, Lisa, how about you? I mean, I think that we have said no many, many, many times over the years, especially as city and state. It's really been from a coffee lens. When we opened here in Memphis, it was about eight years ago. Third wave had made its way. And so we were one of the first to, in third wave, look at not just the coffee itself, but how is it being sourced? Are we paying above what was considered market price for coffee? It's still an area of concern just overall globally. Coffee is one of the largest global industries that we have. And so really being thoughtful about only partnering with roasters who knew exactly who was growing those berries, who was actually processing, roasting, and giving it all of that craft and care. And so it meant a lot more work for us and for the teams in vetting and evaluating, but it gave us confidence in what we were putting forward to our customers and helping educate and bring Memphis along. He was one of our early customers as well, which was really amazing. He asked amazing questions. And then similarly on the maker side, I found myself really passionate about all of these individuals who create 
I was not a traditional maker creator in and of myself. And so it was, what can I bring to help other small businesses to help people grow. And it was, how do I create a space that will encourage that and give them, whether it be bringing them into a new market. So not always just sourcing Memphis makers. How do I go find makers from around the country who would benefit from entering a new market, from having our support, from having floor space in our shop. And we even go so far as our team, they're not retail salespeople. They're actually storytellers. They're here to tell the story of the maker of the line, what's behind that. So again, it means that when we're sourcing, when we're trying to find new products, new makers, there's a lot of time and energy that goes into finding what we feel are truly more inspiring stories. That's great. Thank you. Lisa, what do you do to increase your brand recognition? Well, not dissimilar to what you're saying. We've done a lot of just collaborations over the years whether the collaboration has been with artists or if it's with different makers or even just in kind of curating a selection of products. So more recently, we had done a collaboration with David Corliss, who is now really up and coming in Memphis as a strong influencer designer. He's just a really energetic, inspiring human. And that's what we look for is like, he is so authentic. He is so genuine and how he puts himself forward. So we took an opportunity to partner with him and just kind of build on both brands. So it's building that strength. I also, I'm going to take it as a claim to early acknowledgement of fame is that Carmian Hamilton, who again, most of us have heard of by now, I had reached out to her. It was right before she left to go film the HGTV Next Gen Star. And I had no idea. And we were talking about, let's do a collaboration, source some home goods. Let's create a whole movement around that. And we did. And then literally in the midst of launching that is when she won that TV show. And it just turned into something that we hadn't really anticipated. And it gave us reach we weren't expecting because all of a sudden we were seeing online orders coming from LA. We're shipping to LA. We were shipping to New York. And so just the power of those two brands together amplified one another. Very cool. Susan, what about you? How do you increase your brand recognition? You spend a lot of money on trying to share your story with people. And we've done that through the years. And that's a piece of the investment is to make certain that you're communicating with people where they may be, where they may find you. But one of the things that we've been doing probably very intentionally since the Great Recession started is to partner with people who are sharing our values and trying to do the same thing that we're trying to do. So we have spent a lot of our resources doing things that are for the benefit of our entire community. We have partnerships that promote, for example, we have a handful of initiatives that are really critically important to us. We want to promote safety in our community. So we work with domestic violence is one of the biggest challenges in our community. We work in a partnership with a family safety center, which is a piece of our work. We have a relationship with New Memphis, which promotes bringing talent to Memphis and activating the talent that's here and trying to encourage people to really engage in our community in ways that you have a unique gift to share with our community. And we want to help do that. We want to promote doing that. We want to work on poverty in our community. The Women's Foundation has been working for over a decade to try to address the 
most chronic multi-generational challenge that we have in our community, which is really core poverty and how do we attack that. So one of the things that we've done is really be really intentional about who we are sharing resources with and trying to do that. But we also do the things that you do. I mean, when you have a brand and you want to share your voice and your vision, you try to do those things as well. And there are a thousand little things that we do. Our logo is in lowercase letters. It's because we're trying to be anti-institutional. We're trying to send the message to you that we don't want to be a big brand. We want to be the opposite of a big brand. Nobody gets that lowercase was really important to us and really important to me. Everybody kept saying, why you, nobody knows how to do this. If you write that and you don't know how to do it, but lowercase was trying to send that message. Our logo, if you look at it, someday take a look at the logo. It's actually a stick figure with their hands extended to serve which is a message that we're trying to send. Goodness knows, no one knows that but me, but now y'all do. (laughs) Those are things that are really important to us. But the other thing I would say is our voice has always been our customer's voice. So the first person I in our messages is always I the customer instead of I the institution. And so we're trying to figure out how to say over and over again, the center of our universe is not us. The center of our universe is you. We've got 25 years of trying, so hopefully some of it's working, guys. <laughs> but those are parts of the things we're doing. Isn't it interesting that you use the word logo and how many companies have logos that instantly, when you look at that logo, you get the feeling of exactly who they are, all the emotions that come with that logo. So anyway, how about you? Well, you're asking the owner of a marketing company how to about brand recognition. So I could talk for forever about it, but I'll give a few key pieces. And similar to what Susan was saying, we launched this year our Carrying the Torch program, which is an intentional volunteer community service program within Campfire Collective. And if we're going to be about working with community-based organizations and our values are uplifting communities through those small businesses and nonprofits at the heart of communities, we need to be able to give back and speak for ourselves too. So this program, it supports organizations in town that support future female entrepreneurs and leaders. And we base because that's how I got started through sponsorships or volunteer opportunities. We support several key organizations in town. And then after that, we encourage all of our team members to find their own passions within volunteerism and we reward them accordingly. On the marketing front, outside of community service, we have our social media presence. We have our PR plan. We launched a podcast this year that focuses on conversations about people who are uplifting the Memphis community specifically new episode just dropped today. But we have our whole marketing plan too. What I think is honestly the most important though, is it comes down to having your internal team know your brand because they're going to be the best ambassadors for you. So making sure that whatever your reputation is, whatever your brand is, your team knows it and they're bought into it and they want to spread the word about it because they're going to be your best ambassadors. So my team had a lot of ownership into what our brand was going to be. They were a part of that process. They were a part of the carrying the torch process, a part of the podcast process. Actually, those weren't my ideas. Those were team ideas. Cecilia just raised her hand back there. She's like, that was me. Um, (laughs) So yeah, making sure that it's not just you representing it. 
That's exactly right. Could you imagine trying to promote a brand to the general public when your own people behind you don't even believe in it or even know what it is? It would be impossible. Those were three questions I wanted to make sure I felt the most important to ask. So I wanted each of and every one of these folks to give an answer. But I'm going to bounce around now. So y'all would you mind if I share my perspective on that question? Yeah, as well? sure. Go ahead. There are kind of three things that I think about when it comes to raising brand awareness. And I'm going to try to go through them quick because I'm a nerd. So I, I will nerd out on these topics. But the first one is talent stacking. I think traditionally, when you think about an industry or a business, you think about that in a silo. We found that actually providing a collage of talents when we present or talk about the topics we talk about makes us more accessible. We reach different demographics. So for instance, when he read, when they read my intros, MC, educator, coffee nerd. So I was a English teacher for 10 years in Memphis. So I use a lot of the educational pedagogy theory in how we present our information and we kind of front as an educational company. I also rap. And so I use that skill set of communicating or talking and even creating a lot of the music that goes underneath our marketing. Recently just passed 1.2 million streams on music streaming services, which it just raises more brand awareness. And then, of course, I'm a big coffee nerd. I spend a lot of time at City and State asking a million questions and that general curiosity and specificity has allowed us to be able to differentiate ourselves from a lot of the other people. So you mentioned earlier, like there are a lot of value based or culture based brands, but oftentimes culturally based brands are dichotomous from quality based brands. Like it's almost like you have to pick one or the other. And so because we're doing both at the same time, it kind of makes us purple cow. If you're familiar with like the purple cow concept, uh, the other one is a strong funnel. So we have a strong marketing funnel and I really, really work hard to make sure our first offering in that funnel is a really great top of funnel offering that's free. And so that for us was starting the podcast, educational content within our community. We give the first sip of coffee away for free, which is a very radical choice. I can tell you about how we've been able to make that financially stable. And we do a ton of free educational work in the community. We've done three years of a free coffee internship program called the SIT program that my wife innovated. We train young African-American creatives on how to become baristas. We also went to Africa, raised $24,000 in 72 hours to shoot a documentary on coffee's pre-colonial history. And this year we're launching something called the Black Barista Exchange Program. We're partnering with people who've innovated in the coffee industry who are of African descent to raise money to bring four African-American baristas to Africa and then bring four African baristas to America. Every time I've done something like that, people said that's impossible. Even when we did the documentary, we got awarded or recognized as best film in coffee over the largest coffee YouTuber in the world. He had like 1.6 million subscribers. I actually use his recipe in my shop. His name is James Hoffman. But all these things we've done, people said it wasn't possible and we did them and gave them away for free. And doing that creates a huge top of funnel for the rest of the products that we offer within our catalog. And then the last thing is just radical, specific authenticity. There's a temptation in the world right now to try to tell everybody's story all at the same time. But what I found is if I really drilled down, and I learned this in Boston when we did the premiere for our documentary at the Specialty Coffee Conference that happened up there a couple of years ago, it's this very specific story about me and my wife's history. Her grandfather was a sanitation worker who marched with Dr. King. My grandfather was a farmer who had to move from Arkansas to Memphis because of racism and started several businesses. And us being teachers and educators and people who love God and going to, it's this whole very specific story. But then I found like one of our brand sponsors from AeroPress, who's like this really cute, short Irish lady. She's like my Irish grandma. And she comes, she's like, this reminded me of the first time I went back to Ireland. And this Yemeni coffee entrepreneur was like, this reminded me of the first time I went back to Yemen. And by us being specific, 
and unapologetic about telling our specific story, it actually liberated people to see the themes and encourage them to tell their own. So those are the brand awareness pieces for us. Shannon, what sets your brand apart from your competitors? What sets us apart? I think it goes back to the way that we work with clients and the community aspect of what we are. So we have kind of what I said when that first response was, we have a robust PR community here in town and I'm friends with a lot of other agency owners and we refer business to each other all the time based on each other's strengths. So if someone's looking for a grassroots approach, that typically comes to me. If someone's looking for growth in their specific community, that typically comes to me. And if someone's looking for someone who wants a partner and wants someone to sit back and listen to their story and figure out together what they need to be doing, that's really where we come in with our strengths. Like I've intentionally never offered marketing packages, never offered PR packages and never gone into like a client pitch meeting and said, this is what we're going to do for you. It's all about going in and saying, tell me why we're here. Tell me what your story is. Tell me what you need and let's figure this out together. Good for so. you. Yeah. That'll definitely set you apart. <laughs> Lisa, when people think your business, how do you want them to feel? Like I was saying earlier about the logo, how do you want them to feel about your business? <laughs> What's the emotion? Curiosity. I think it's to be curious, to come in looking to just, again, like I said earlier, it's like to discover something you may not have paid attention to. You walk into our space and we're constantly bringing in and changing what's there. And I find that people will even kind of tell the team, they're like, it's going to take me a while. They're like, because I want to look at everything. I want to see it all. I want to be sure I can like catch that new small item that I can bring home with me and understand everything that went into making it. We're coming in with a curiosity about the coffee. My teams have been with us, I think in part because of our brand, the quality, the strength that we've built over time of just our own kind of internal training programs with the teams. Our staff has been with us for years. I am marking literal two, three years with baristas who have stuck with us through all of this growth and time. And they are the ones who are more than happy to talk to anyone and answer questions and tell you the best way to brew a coffee, to tell you the way they think you should grind it, what setting... And so I think it's just that coming in, wanting more of that dialogue, more interaction. It's less of a transaction. It's just more being in that community and helping bring people along in that. Transaction. Interesting, because the last thing you would want to become is a transaction. Correct. How about you, Susan? What do you want your customers to feel when they give you and your business? I hope that what they feel is empowered and maybe confident about what they're trying to achieve. Probably seen and heard, which is really important for someone to feel that at the moment that they needed to be validated or at least understood that we actually saw them and heard them. Being a great partner sometimes means that you don't agree with a solution or you have to suggest an alternative. But what I think might be the most important thing about what they feel is they feel that they were the important piece of the interaction, whatever that interaction may have been, that they were the part that mattered. And I hope that they would leave also feeling confident about where they're going in the future, which is the goal. Again, we have to be less and they have to be more for the transaction to really have been what it should have been 
in our world. And that's really hard to think and talk about when you're doing a business that is an institutional kind of business and perceived to be a bureaucratic kind of business. But hopefully what they feel is that they were important. Isn't it safe to say that that feeling you want to give to your customers is exactly the feeling you want to give to your employees? Absolutely. Everybody here has talked about how important the people, there's no single part. Your brand is everything that you are, every interaction, every moment, every touch point that you have. But the single most important thing is if you don't have a group of people who are united in that way, if you haven't replicated the DNA that you were trying to do, and believe me, after 25 years, your DNA, you're replicating it over and over and over again. But the hope is that at the end product that you haven't diluted it and that the person who is there having the interaction with the most important person of all, which is that person at that moment, that their heart is full of the values that matter and that they reflect what you're trying to do in that interaction and overall. Thank you, Bartholomew. Why do clients trust you? What's your magic formula for trust? I got to go back to authenticity. I think we have a track record of just being unapologetically authentic to who we are, whether that's me being a nerd and being very forward about all of the interesting things that I find about coffee, especially when you're looking at distraction theory or like biodiversity or we can get into all that. But I love that. And I think I'm unapologetic about that. And that was something that was challenging because growing up, that was it wasn't cool to be a nerd. But for me, embracing every time I speak to an audience, I identify as a coffee nerd and being unapologetic about that. Also being unapologetic about loving my history. I believe God puts everybody where they're supposed to be on purpose. And so whatever is a part of my history is something that God wanted for me. And so I'm intentional about honoring that. And then also my history as an educator. When I started out, I was an artist. And it was difficult for me to kind of square wanting to create art and also needing to do a nine to five. But for me, that history actually prepared me again, going back to where you come from is on purpose. That provided an opportunity for me to use those skill sets, specifically the educational theory of a cogenerative dialogue, which is a theory developed by an educator from Central America. And that became central to kind of how we frame our products. And when you look over our track record, It's just been us wanting to solve problems that other people thought were unimportant at the time and spending a lot of money and a lot of resources to provide solutions to problems people hadn't considered yet. And so what that meant was by the time those solutions came to the forefront of the cultural zeitgeist, for instance, when George Floyd was assassinated, there was a huge moment in culture. And we had already been releasing products and shirts that address the intersection of Black history and coffee. And so when that moment happened, people were looking for a brand that was willing to talk about it. And we had been talking about it for a year and a half at that point, not because it was cool, not because we got sales for it. A lot of times we lost sales for it, but we believe this is a solution to a problem the world needs to have. So when that problem came to the forefront of the world's consciousness, our brand became the forerunner to address that issue. And we believe those things are going to continue to come to the forefront, even to the point where when we went to coffee farms in Ethiopia back in 2021, the farmers were talking to us about George Floyd. And I was totally unaware that coffee farmers were even aware of what was happening in America. But they connected that to a lack of respect that they felt as coffee farmers for how little they're paid for people coming to their farms and not wanting to eat food with them or touch them or be associated with their children. They wanted pictures, but they didn't want to actually love those people. And so our brand 
tagline for a long time has been love black people like you love black coffee. And when we showed up in Ethiopia specifically, that's not who you would consider to be our first customer. But to me, those are our first partners. We talk about employees and they saw that care and intention. And so it was reciprocated when we arrived and we're treated like family and given Ethiopian names and kids were jumping all over us. And I think that authenticity and willingness to be very specific, even when it's risky, has paid off for us in the long term. Thank you. Well, I think to that point, I'd love to just kind of layer in what you're speaking to, which is I think there's been such an evolution in the ways that brands show up and what it means to be authentic, even in those moments when being authentic to who you are as a brand and what you stand for might lose sales. You might find yourself losing some of what you believed to be your audience and your customer But you're going to find those that align with and truly embrace and love what your brand stands for. And so I think it's even more important these days in finding those moments and finding that voice and how you're putting that forward and not kind of staying out of the fray, not pulling back from supporting movements, supporting issues that matter, because I think that just keeps you true to you and builds that trust. Very good. It's almost 10 after nine. I'm not sure what the time frame is for everybody. We can continue or does anyone have any questions? Switch it over to some questions. Anybody have any they'd like to ask? Does anybody have any questions? I'm not. We haven't talked about this much, but I think a lot of the conversation has been maybe oriented toward brick and mortar retail. I'd be curious to know if y'all would be interested in discussing e-commerce. For us, we're a CPG e-commerce company primarily. And so 92% of our sales are through our omni-channel website and social media, TikTok, things like that. And so if there's any curiosity around people looking to start e-commerce companies, definitely open to talk about what's been helpful for us. I have a question. When did, and I guess for you all, were you all, all was Coffee Black always like a national company? At what point did you decide it was time to transition from that local, regional focus to for like sure. a national focus? So I think the market made that decision for us. And I try to make the market make most of our decisions for us because there's a lot of risk when I have an idea and I put it out there. But we started out just going to coffee shops a lot. Like I mentioned, we've been to City and State. We go to Avenue Coffee. I just went to coffee shops and was curious. And then I started hosting coffee and music events locally where I would do a concert and have a DJ and then also educate people about coffee and maybe teach a recipe and show let them taste a particular coffee. And we would document all that. And while I was doing that, I was also taking pictures at every coffee shop I went to and posting black baristas I met online and helping to share their stories. We launched the coffee locally and it sold out. We had like maybe 50 pounds of coffee. It sold out in a week. Well, OK, we launched that at Comeback Coffee. So that went really well. We started to have people reach out online. We started to do drop shipping for apparel. And so a lot of the apparel, we make all our own apparel. And so we would do drop shipping online through our Shopify site, start to see some sales pick up. And then in that first year, we released the Love Black People Like You Love Black Coffee design. And we hit six figures in the first nine months. I went from a $4,000 month to a $65,000 month. And then the market made that decision at that point because we were nationally distributed. We'd already received press, but all of our products immediately started selling to all these national and international consumers who were curious about our values and the solutions we were bringing to the market. And so that was in 2020. And since that point, it just hasn't ever slowed down. So I think they made that decision for us. And once we saw that, we're like, okay, this makes the most sense for us to spend marketing dollars on. This makes the most sense for us to, we got to travel now. We got to go to trade shows. We need to be able to take speaking engagements. So the market made that decision for us. But once it did, I feel like 
we stuck with it. I've had a million people ask me, hey, you want to start a coffee shop? And the answer is no. We do have a small tasting room, cafe, roasting space in our neighborhood on 761 National. And so for some people, that is their coffee shop. But I'm not interested in dropping six figures on a build out right now. (laughs) <laughs> His coffee shop is fantastic if y'all never been. <laughs> Shannon is the expert on coffee shops, aren't you? <laughs> I'd say one thing before we close, and that is that, first of all, it was a real pleasure to be amongst you. And the one word that never got used but was circled around a hundred times, and it defined why they're all successful, and it's the word integrity. And I think if your brand is synonymous with integrity, you will be so successful, especially in the world as it is today. It's not getting any better in many cases in the business world. So if your employees, you believe what you're going to do and they'll go to, you know, where and back for you. And the customer thinks of, wow, I'm in a transportation business. I'm not sure whether they'll get it there any quicker or any cheaper, but I can count on them. And what they say is what's real, even if it's a mistake. And some of the best business advice I can ever give anyone is capitalize on your mistake. Go, whoa, watch what we do for you when we don't do what we said we were going to do. That's where all the action is and all the money. And then pretty soon the money follows you. The money will follow. Don't chase it. It will follow you. And that's what all of you said in a roundabout way as I listened and the word integrity just comes out. For all of us, I just thought I'd throw that in there. And I think of a better note to end on. Thank you so much, Mike. I really, really appreciate it. I do also want to say thank you to V2 Media. This has been recorded, and it's going to be a podcast that will drop in two weeks. And also the video will be on our YouTube channel. Thank you all so much. This was really, really wonderful. I appreciate it. I cannot tell you the number. I've done this for a long time. I've been the director of the Society of Entrepreneurs for almost 25 years. And the biggest mistake I see people, companies make is that they don't know who they are and they want to be everything to everybody. And those people are not in this room anymore because they're not in business. So this is the way. Thank you so much for all of this advice. Our next meeting is on August the 17th with Patty Phelps at Char. Hope to see you all there. Thank you guys very much. We hope you enjoyed this panel discussion. If you'd like to hear more about any of the participants and their companies and their involvement in the community, please check our show notes. Oh,